0: We are in Mark chapter 5, so I encourage you to grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 5. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles. Uh, you can grab one when you come in. I'm not sure there's any left. I can't see. But if anybody need a Bible, slip up your hand. Eric has one. <laughs> so I encourage you to grab one if you don't uh, bring one on Sunday. Of course, it's always a good idea to bring one. Mark chapter 5. It had been a very long day for Jesus and his disciples in Capernaum. He began teaching that day, and the crowd was so large that Jesus had to get into a boat and push off so he could turn around and begin teaching to the huge crowd back on shore. On this day, Jesus taught the parable of the sower and how people respond differently to his message about the kingdom of God. Some have calloused hearts, some have shallow hearts, some have divided hearts, and some hearts are where the word of God can thrive and grow and multiply. Jesus also taught the parable about how lamps were to display light and they were not to be covered up. He warned people about selective hearing when he said, he who has an ear let him hear. He taught a parable about the kingdom of God and its normal progression of sowing, growing, and harvesting. He taught the kingdom of God with its small beginnings would have a major impact on the world in the parable of the mustard seed. At the end of the day, Jesus and his disciples headed their boat to the other side of the lake. There they encountered a ferocious storm, and the disciples were scared out of their wits. Jesus said, to the storm, quiet, be still. And it was so. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Now it's very late. It's in the night or it's early morning, and it's probably dark. The situation is in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And uh, I encourage you to look at chapter 5. And the travel in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, They went across the lake. This is the situation. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. They have just lived through the storm of their lives. And now they're going to see Jesus meet another challenge. The Gerasenes is a region on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, we have a map. There we go. It's hard to see this, but Israel is the land on the right. You can see the Jordan River. Jerusalem, those are always key sites in in the land of Israel. Then there's a little body of water at the north. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's hardly a small lake, but it is the Sea of Galilee. And then you see the little dot on the north, and that's Capernaum, north shore. That's Jesus' headquarters. That's where he hung out. That's where James and John and uh, and Peter were from, Peter and Andrew. And that's where they had their fishing business, and they went there and hung out a lot. So they have just been there, they have left Capernaum, and now they're heading to Gergesa. You can see that, or it's the region of the Gerasenes, east side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you know a little history, it's pretty significant, but you'll see in just a minute. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So... Mark says there's a man with an impure or unclean spirit, would also mean an evil spirit, would translate demon. And he has come to meet Jesus. This is kind of interesting. He's he's coming forward because he wants to meet Jesus. Now, Mark is going to give us a lot of details here. Um, And remember that Peter was there. He's the eyewitness. And Mark is recording Peter's eyewitness account. The tombs uh, were uh, typically caves where bodies were buried or interred And these were the poor man's tomb. And uh, so the man is coming from the tombs. So the man sees Jesus coming and he approaches Jesus. And we see the predicament in verses 3 through 5 and Mark gives us some very significant details about this man. Verse 3, this man lived In the tombs. Not a very good place to live. And do you recall how the Jewish mind and in the law of the Old Testament, how significant it was is you don't hang around dead people. Because you become unclean and you can't be with the rest of the civilization. You can't be with other people. Um, And so this man had to live there. And no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. So he lived there. Uh, because he had become totally ostracized from his family and from his community. Now, this is really a sad picture. Evil is involved, but think about the man just a minute. I don't imagine he wanted to be there. Um, but his circumstances have brought him to this place. He was physically very powerful. In fact, They couldn't even bind him with with metal chains because he could break those. Uh, Suggests that that's maybe more than just the average human strength. Uh, Verse 4, he had often been chained hand and foot. Often been chained hand and foot. This is before he moved to the tombs. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. This is a lot of detail. No one was strong enough to subdue him. How did they find out this? Well, this information came from the people who lived there. Mark w- recorded all this stuff from eyewitness accounts of people who were there. He, this man is in bondage to uh, an evil spirit, an impure spirit, and he's also in bondage to society because they're trying to lock him up. They're trying to keep him in the tombs. They don't want him where they live. They don't want him in their life. Um, This is a pretty sad life for this man. Lonely. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. The tombs were isolated. They were where people didn't live. That People didn't want to be around the tombs. Normal people wouldn't go there. Mark says night and day he would cry out and there was nobody there to hear. Pain, night and day, he cried out. And he cut himself with stones. He's all alone. Why did he cut himself? I don't know. There's consistency with demonization that sometimes there's cutting. And I'm not trying to suggest every time somebody cuts that that's demonization. I'm not saying that at all. Sometimes people in pain do things like this. But he did this night and day. He was suffering emotionally and physically, and he was self-destructive. We see the encounter in verses 6 through 13. The encounter that Jesus has. Verses 6 through 8, the impact. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now, this is interesting. Somebody runs up to Jesus. Now, why did he do that? This is a man who's demonized. Is he running for help? Is he sort of like humanly now running for help because of Jesus? Or is this sort of a scare tactic that demons had previously used to intimidate people? You know, if somebody like this runs up and meets you, what would you do? I might backpedal a little bit, give him a little space. It's kind of intimidating. Um, As... This man approached, I just imagine that he likely became more and more um, apparent to him that the man he was approaching was very powerful. Way more powerful than him. And, you know, why did he fall at his knees? I don't know. It's out of respect. It's out of this I'm imagining this deep humility in the presence of the Almighty God that was sensed in the spiritual realm. Verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. A demon is saying, using God's name and requesting not to be tortured. And he identifies Jesus, his name, his personal name, and he also gives him a title of the Most High God. That's a pretty high title. The demon recognizes the presence of the true and living God, or this man does. Um, But in in this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, this man sees, or the demons, because it just kind of slides back and forth, that he is doomed. Um, and, and he says, in God's name, don't torture me. Verse 8 says, for Jesus had said to him already, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So Jesus had already given the instructions and made the commands to this man and to, the, to, these, uh, to this evil spirit and said, come out of him. And uh, if you aren't stronger than Jesus, you have no choice here but to obey. And the demon feared that Jesus... This is why the demon was afraid. Don't torture me, Jesus. Why? Because he was afraid of the final judgment when he would be sent to hell, to the lake of fire. They know that's coming. And... um, He's asking Jesus not to torture him. Uh, The defeat uh, is verses 9 and 10. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? So Jesus speaks to the demon, and the answer is, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. What does that mean? I don't know. A legion in the first century Was would be a concept that everybody understood that the Roman army, a legion, was 6,000 troops, 6,000 fighting troops who would fight as a unit. Over 6,000, maybe 6,120 would make up a legion. Do I think that this literally means that? No, not necessarily, but the idea is that this is a very large number and very powerful, and we'll see that in just a minute. Verse 10, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them, now we've just switched into plural, to send them out of the area. Um, So here is an evil spirit, actually many spirits, negotiating with Jesus. And one is the main spokesman. Um, He doesn't want to leave the region, and he begs Jesus over and over. The result is verses 11 through 13. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus. There you see it again. Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So the demons, who are speaking plural, begged Jesus to send them into the pigs. Verse 13. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And that all happened pretty fast. This is... Mark is the gospel of action. And there's been action ever since Jesus got off the boat here. Um, the demons want Jesus to send the, them into, they like to reside in people or animals. And uh, so he, they make this request. Verse 13, he gave them permission. Why did he do that? Why would Jesus do that? And now the pigs take on a self-destructive behavior when they run out of control over the steep bank into the Sea of Galilee. So is this unfortunate? Why did Jesus permit this? And um, I don't know why he did. But here's a reminder in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. In the law of the Old Testament, God's people had some rules that they were supposed to follow about their lifestyle choices. And verse 7 said, And the pig, though it has divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is not unclean for you, people of Israel. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. So this was the law in place at the time of Jesus. And uh, by the way, this city, this region, is in the land of Israel. So, for the nation of Israel, pigs were off limits. There were to be no pig farms, no pig markets, no bacon and cheddar omelets. And um, by, the, by the first century, this east side of the Jordan River, the land of Israel, is heavily populated by Gentiles, Greeks, and their whole lifestyle has taken over the area. So this is in the land of Israel, but it's a very secular um, Kind of culture and lifestyle. So let's see what happened next. The aftermath, verses 14 through 20. And uh, verse 14, the report. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Pretty big deal in those days. Major news story. The people, uh, it got the people's attention very quickly. You know, those who uh, were taking care of the pigs and they saw all this happen, they just lost their job. And this is uh, terrible. And so they go tell as many people as they can. People come back quickly to see what had happened. In the meantime, how long does this take? I don't know, but guess what? There's the man who had the demons, and they have left him, and he's spending time with Jesus. He's also getting to know the disciples. Who are you? Why are you here? Why do you follow Jesus? response verses 15 and 16. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man. This is the crowd that the people who have heard the report. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now that seems to me like a pretty unusual response. They were afraid. Um, Here was a man who lived in the tombs, and he seems to be sane. He seems to be healthy. He seems to be reasonable. He seems to be stable. He's not screaming at anyone. He's not chasing anyone. He's not trying to run away from anyone. And the people were afraid. Why? That's a good question. 16. Those who had, been, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man... And told about the pigs as well. There's two parts of the story. There's what happened to the man. That's really a good story. That's an amazing story. And then there's what happened to the pigs. And that's sad news. Which is more important? Verse 17 Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their regions. Kind of an unusual response, isn't it? The people began to plead with Jesus, leave. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, the Almighty God in the flesh, the one who can heal the sick and cast out demons, the one who can show them the way to God and how to have a relationship with God. And they ask Him to leave. Why? Because they're afraid of Him. He is powerful. He could raise havoc in their world. He might kill all the pigs. They just don't know what to do with him. They've never seen anything like this. So why did Jesus permit the demons to destroy the pigs? Well, first, I think it was to show that one man is way more important than pigs. And for Jesus, one man was way more important than 2,000 pigs Or their uh, business ventures. And to illustrate the reality of the power of demons over a man. And they got to see it. That it was Jesus who had the authority to change everything. And so it went from this one man that they had known. That was enslaved. And was trying to destroy himself. And now this at the words of Jesus goes to these. This herd of pigs. And they. Are self destructive. And it's just real easy. Was there, now here. And I think the third reason is just to demonstrate his power and his authority. We have a request in verse 18. Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. So he's a new man, he's a different man. He's met Jesus, he likes Jesus. And I'm guessing the hours that they were there, he even got to talk to the other disciples. You know, who are you? How did you get here? What does it mean? Why are you following? And this man wants to get in the boat. He wants to go. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to hang with him day in and day out. Verse 19, something unusual happens, a redirect. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You know, this is a little bit different than the other encounters that Jesus has had. Do you remember? What did he tell the other people? There were other people that were healed. or other people that were demon-possessed that he delivered them from demons. And he said, don't tell anybody. What's the difference? I think part of the difference is... In the land of Israel, Jesus was extremely popular. People were looking for the Messiah, and they saw the, they saw the miracles, and they saw the healing, and uh, they were excited, and Jesus was growing in popularity so fast that it was getting a little bit out of control. They weren't really interested in the kingdom of God. They were just interested in this celebrity Jesus. And Jesus wanted to slow down the crowd, the mob situation, and Jesus wanted to lead with his time and his plan on how he was going to reveal himself to the nation. But this is a little bit different. He's on the east side of the Jordan River. This is Gentile country. It's supposed to be a Jewish nation. And they don't want Jesus. They tell him to leave, and he's going to get in the boat and leave. And he's going to leave this man. And he wants this man to go home. He wants this man to give an eyewitness account of what God has done for him and for the mercy God has had. Verse 20, the result. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So Jesus gave this man instructions, new marching orders, and he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. And people were amazed. This man's story had impact. Now, probably need another map. Because what's the Decapolis? Do you remember what the Decapolis is? Okay, the Decapolis is a region. It's on the east side of the Jordan. It would it included the area where the man encountered Jesus, the demonized man. And it's that right side of the land of Israel. So those dotted lines mark off kind of provinces in the land of Israel. Decapolis stands for 10 cities. There were 10 cities that uh, banded together, they were Gentile cities, that banded together for military protection, and they just called it the Decapolis. And so that's where the man is from, is that area, and the news spread about him.
1: Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Just like the demon-possessed man, I too have a personal story in which God restored me. Before I understood Jesus' death on the cross and placed my faith in him, I often felt insignificant. I wanted to know that I was loved and accepted, but when I failed at something or disappointed someone, feelings of worthlessness often crept in. This resulted in me becoming an overachiever. I worked hard in school to get good grades, and I tried as hard as I could in athletics to show that I was worth something. It was painful to always be trying to please my parents or other teachers to feel that I was worthy of love, but all that changed when I encountered Jesus as a high school senior, when I learned that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me on the cross. I realized I must be significant, if he would die in my place for my sins. This changed me forever, just as the demon-possessed man was changed, and I, too, am called to share what the Lord has done with my family. I really began to live for Christ when I went to college, and I got involved with crew on campus. I attended one of their conferences and learned how to share my faith and reach out to those who don't yet know Christ. After this conference, I came home to my mom crying in the basement. She felt that she had no purpose in life and wondered why she was even on this earth. She she said she felt unloved and worthless. I decided to put into practice what I had learned at the conference and shared the good news about Jesus with her. She came to faith shortly after and now has a beautiful purpose in him. I also have two younger sisters. My heart began to break for them as I saw that they did not know God and they were experiencing the same struggles I had and insecurities I had in high school. I began to make sure to spend time with them so that I could be a light to them and share the good news about what God had done in my life with them. I also began to pray for them. Then one day, when I was driving my sister Ashley home from college, we got into a deep spiritual conversation. For the first time in that car ride, She understood that Christianity wasn't about doing good things to earn God's love, but that it was about recognizing that you aren't good enough and expressing your need for a Savior who loved you enough to die for you. She then accepted Christ as her personal Savior. After that, I decided to treat my two sisters to a trip to Chicago for Christmas so I could spend time with them and encourage them. As we were riding the train there, my other sister, Allison, began to ask many spiritual questions. I shared the good news with her there on that train, and my sister Ashley also shared with her what she had learned in the car ride on the way home from college. This trip broke down many walls my sister Allison had put built up against God. After that trip, I took the time to get coffee with the both of them whenever I was home and do Bible studies with them. God was working because about a year ago, my younger sister Allison came to faith. And just this past January, she came to Turkey with Nick and I to share the good news of what God had done in her life with people who may never have a chance to hear about Jesus. We three sisters are closer now than we ever had because of what God, than we ever have been because of what God has done in our lives. My dad and my brother still do not know the Lord, but I continue to pray for them and ask God for opportunities to share with them. Although it hasn't been easy, it has been so worth it to take the time to share what God has done for me with my family there's been nothing better than to see their lives transformed and to see them have true hope and significance.
0: Thank you, Emily. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and Jesus has appointed you and me to be a light to our world. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus as the light encountered darkness when he met that man. And the light overcame the darkness. Mark five nineteen says this. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So here's a question. Have you been able to share what God has done in your life with your family? And sometimes, you know, maybe you have, and maybe there's still another good time ahead. Somebody in your family who, who doesn't know Jesus yet. Have you been able to share the good news with a friend, a coworker, or a classmate? And Jesus wants us to tell our story. And I want to remind you to tell your story. Um, you know, that you, some of you have seen this before, but, you know, there's a real easy way to think about telling your story. And uh, the first one is, is to know what your story is about my life before Christ, my life before I met Christ. And, you know, just for, for me, I was 25 years old. I was an atheist in college. That's my first part of the story. The second part is how I met Christ. And for me, that was a weekend with uh, friends of our family. And uh, the amazing thing to me is uh, they treated me with much value and honor, and they didn't treat me as um, an atheistic enemy. And uh, I found that so refreshing. I heard the gospel that weekend. And I understood the first time that Jesus died for me. And that was the only way of salvation. And I placed my faith in Jesus. And the third part is, what difference has Christ made in your life? What difference has Christ made? For me, he changed just about everything. He helped me stop smoking and abusing alcohol. He helped me overcome pornography. He changed my marriage and my parenting. And he gave me a purpose in life that I'm so grateful for, that is so rewarding. That's just how you can tell your story. Some of you have done this and you've wrote, written your story like this. Share this story, it's never too old. And I hope God is always working so there are always things that you can share with others of what the Lord has done for you. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, who is the light of the world. Thank you for the great gift of salvation that he offers Thank you that you have offered that to us and enabled us to place our faith in Jesus Christ and to know you personally. May we not forget to to share our story. May we be willing to go and tell our family and to tell our friends and people that we meet what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Enable us to shine brightly for you as light. Amen.